Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. So what are some of the ingredients of a human community that sustains itself over time? Some combination of natural resources and human ingenuity, and for those humans, a place to live. For many coastal communities in Maine, making those places Um, a place to live is uh, making it affordable is a challenge and that's today's topic looking at affordable housing at the heart of a community and we're pleased to have back in the studio with us uh, Chris Spruce. Christopher Spruce is the executive director of Island Housing Trust. Along with him is Ted Kaufman who's a board member um, at the trust. Allison Bean is a staff member and Kendra Rudolph is uh, a recent purchaser of a home with uh, Island Housing Trust support. So welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, Chris, a little bit of, of your own background. Um, you've worked in, in many different uh, policy arenas and, and uh, affordable housing. You've come back to affordable housing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I started with Ted and uh, Island Housing Trust back in 2005 when, uh, for the first time, uh, Island Housing Trust hired a full-time executive director. Before that, I was working at Sunrise County Economic Council in Machias, which you may be familiar with, and I was doing uh, addressing affordable housing issues there as part of my job. So it was a natural uh, uh, transition to come and do this on MDI. So when I came, uh, Island Housing Trust was a group that talked a lot uh, and a lot. <laughs> and uh, and even more. And uh, so we finally decided uh, we uh, focused uh, on one project, which was at Ripples Hill, what we now call Ripples Hill Development in Mount Desert in Somersville, and uh, began developing that as a workforce housing development. And uh, we built our first house there in 2008. And uh, right now we're building the eighth house there uh, as we speak. Great. Uh, we've also done a, n- a number of other programs, but uh, you know that's been sort of the cornerstone of, of our uh, efforts is to put people into these uh, energy-efficient, year-round, sustainable houses. Great. Ted, how did you get involved in all of this? I recall that you and I probably worked together on something called Mount Desert Island Tomorrow years ago, but uh, you've been in the legislature as well and addressed mm-hmm. some of these issues from that perspective. Right. Yes, I was involved in the Mount Desert Island uh, uh, future uh, program and I, I look back and it was really early 90s that the conversation began to come in the community around 
uh, our preferred future? What are we looking for as a quality of life, mm. and how do we sustain it? Um, and I did serve in the legislature for eight years and had the opportunity to work on uh, growth management questions and got a larger perspective of uh, the challenges around affordable housing, workforce housing along the whole coast of Maine from Kittery and York up through Bath and Brunswick and Bitterford and, uh, and Belfast and certainly Ellsworth area and, and Bar Harbor. And uh, it, no one's surprised that uh, the cost of property, land and buildings uh, along the coast has increased and increased steadily for the last several decades, actually, right? Um, and I think most people are aware that incomes, particularly among the middle class, have been stalled uh, for also for decades. And so consequently, a growing gap has developed between uh, the cost of housing and the ability to, to buy housing, particularly on the coast. And, and so you're on the board now? And, and now I'm on the board. Of, uh -huh. I, I was on the board once upon a time, yep. and then I was elected and went off and did that. And uh, now I'm back on the board. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be back into these issues again and um, look forward to working with my colleagues to Great. get some things done. Allison, a little bit about your own background and how you came to work for um, Island Housing Trust. So I came a little over a year ago to Island Housing Trust um, as I was searching for employment on the island. Um, my husband has worked for the Jackson Lab for almost 10 years now, and uh, which brought us to the area. Um, but we, as like many others, had difficulty with uh, finding housing that was affordable to us. And it took us several years in assistance from family, uh, but we were finally able to, to make that move. And so for me, it's the, I relate to our clients mm -hmm. and I can understand their struggles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Kendra, welcome um, to Talk of the Towns. Uh, tell us a little bit about your own background and, and uh, we'll get more of your story later on, but a little bit of your background. Certainly. Um, <clears throat> My husband works for the National Park Service, and so we came here just almost exactly a year ago so that he could take a position in Acadia National Park, which I say without hesitation is a dream come true for us to return here. We met here as a dating couple in the early 2000s uh, as seasonal park rangers and since had you know, moved and lived in a number of national parks since then, and I think it it was an unspoken dream of ours to potentially return here as grown-ups, as I like to put it. And the when that opportunity came forward, it was it was a real joy, but it also brought with it a sense of hesitation about whether or not we would be able to find a place to live. <laughs> um, certainly, finding a year-round rental or and then home ownership seeming initially as if it were out of reach. So it brought a, a tremendous amount of excitement to get to come back, but certainly a bit of hesitation about mm -hmm. that part. Mm -hmm. Ted Kaufman, again, uh, the background on, on uh, the trends in, in housing. Say a little bit more, if you could, about uh, why are we at the place we are in terms right. of middle-class uh, folks not being able to find well, housing that they can afford. Yeah, just taking uh, Mount Desert Island, I was remembering uh, in the old days when we were doing the uh, 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 studies around this issue, 86% uh, of the residents on Mount Desert Island, and that's probably true today, uh, current residents could not afford to buy a home on their income today. Mm. 
those, those residents often inherited property uh, or bought land before the boom, the mm -hmm. real estate boom. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm one of those people. Uh, I don't think I could have purchased uh, the property I have now on Mount Desert Island mm -hmm. uh, uh, today, that I, and I'm happy to have that place. Um, the prices of uh, homes have gone up at least 81% over the last 10 years, uh, and the incomes have grown about 20% in that same time period. So that speaks to this, this gap, this widening gap of uh, uh, capacity to, to be participating. And the challenge here is that the workforce, uh, middle-income workforce, uh, are essential to our economy. I mean, they manage the stores, they work in the businesses, they work at the labs, the hospitals, the schools. Uh, they're the, really the lifeblood of uh, a sustainable community. Uh, they're also the volunteers who step up, and we rely so much on volunteers in America and certainly in Maine and in Mount Desert Island. Uh, they're there to help serve. I was on the fire department for 10 years in Southwest Harbor when I was a younger man, and uh, I recall getting calls. I lived near the fire station. I'd get calls, and I'd have my heart would be pounding as I was zooming down to grab a truck and join my... And that sense of community that you could depend that other guys were showing up uh, at 2 in the morning for some crisis. Uh, uh, today, it's really hard to recruit enough volunteer firemen because they're not living on the island. They may be working on the island, but they've now moved away. And this has been true uh, all along the coast and in other areas, mm. just recruiting volunteers for critical things, the ambulance, that sort of thing. Um, so. Uh, these changes are sort of subtle. You don't see it overnight. It's not an asteroid striking uh, Mount Desert Island. But step by step, we're seeing change. You can see the traffic coming onto the island as people go, are going Chris, to Chris work. Chris is part of that. <laughs> yeah, Chris, you're a commuter. Yeah. Well, you tell them yeah, about it. Yeah, I am part of that. Uh, so the, uh, this hollowing out of the community, which that traffic represents, uh, and I'm part of that, uh, has been going on for a number of years, but we're really at a point now where it's reached a critical mass. Uh, as Ted says, we're having a hard time, people on the island are having a hard time finding the volunteers to do the work. And so that's really what we're all about, is to try to find ways to put people into year-round homes that they can afford, uh, Kendra being one example, Kendra and, and Tim. Uh, but, uh, and we've over the years, developed a variety of strategies to do that. Uh, I mentioned the Ripple Hill project. That's a case where we raise money for a development, uh, develop the lots, and essentially gift the lots to the qualified applicants who build a house under our supervision. Uh, but we've done other things as well. We've cooperated with uh, Mrs. Emily Sabamarin, who developed a four-lot subdivision of her own uh, over in the um, Eden area of Bar Harbor. That's where Kendra lives. And, uh, and have worked with her to find qualified applicants to live in these houses that she has sold for a discounted price, essentially. And, and, and then uh, finally, we've uh, developed a program called um, the Home Ownership Assistance Program, or what we call HOPE, uh, where we bridge the gap uh, with a grant uh, between what the bank will lend somebody and and the purchase price of the house. Again, all with qualified applicants who go through our uh, application process. 
And uh, the way that we uh, sustain these uh, properties is through a, a series of affordability covenants uh, that people agree to when they uh, become a homeowner that says when they go to sell, they'll follow this resale formula that attempts to keep the uh, resale price of the house affordable to the next mm -hmm. qualified working family. So that's generally how we do it. So is it the price of land that has driven most of this, the, the escalation in price of land? Housing construction costs naturally have an inflation right. factor, but right. um, is it the price of land that you're, you're, you're kind of keen in on that? The, the price of land is what has driven most of this. But on top of that, there's been this uh, demand in the market that's uh, excessive compared to normal demand. And that's because of the seasonal nature of the island community. Uh, people want to live here for part of the year, and so they want to buy a house that they can stay in while they're here. Unfortunately, when that happens, uh, when uh, we've had a number of those year-round properties become seasonal, and that conversion, if you will, has led to this diminished year-round housing stock that we're kind of trying to battle against. We're trying to uh, bring the him and Kendra's of the world <laughs> to into what houses that are here and sustain those houses over time. So if a house comes on the market, who's who's bidding for that house on Mount Desert Island? What kinds of people besides, you know, folks who are working for the lab or the park or, or the hospital or teachers, who, who else is bidding on those kinds of houses? Uh, so, uh, again, people who want to live here in the summertime, uh, summer families who, who come here, uh, uh, they grow and they get larger. Uh, people who, who have a year-round home who need to convert it to a summer rental because that's how they make a part of their income during the year. And again, I, I never criticize people for that because everybody has to make that individual decision and we don't know everybody's personal finances. But uh, that, that just puts uh, pressure on the housing stock in terms of having enough affordable year-round housing to put people in, mm -hmm. and therefore, and that, that goes for rentals as well. I mean, we deal with the home ownership uh, uh, side of the equation mostly, but it's it's a big problem on the rental side as well. Ted, you want to add? Yeah, just a little bit more about that, that that, that sole process called gentrification, where you have working class, uh, middle class uh, neighborhoods uh, slowly getting bought up by retirees who are looking for a place, as Chris has said, to uh, lay their head mm. uh, in the better, warmer months. Uh, but also we're having uh, people who can, who have pretty good incomes, can afford a home on the island, a nice home on the island, who actually live off, work off the island. So uh, Because of the quality of life that they perceive they're getting there. Precisely. They're right. the professionals who uh -huh. can afford to, to have that. So they're commuting to Ellsworth or other places, uh, but they're living on the island. Uh, so, and I suppose there's another group, and that's the people who say, "Oh, a house is an investment. I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to flip it around to, to become a, 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 a summer rental, right. and I'm going to make money off it." Yeah, there's got to be some pressure. I'm not sure of the figures uh, of seasonal workers uh, that larger institutions, the hotels, etc., re require to to run their operations. So those take up some of the housing that might have been years ago, uh, uh, you know, middle income housing in the downtown of, of Bar Harbor and other towns. Yeah, the, and Ron, I just added that there's no, what we're saying here is there's no one uh, particular reason for this. Right. It's a, it's a confluence of factors mm -hmm. that have driven this uh, narrative, if you will, of a lack of affordable year-round housing. Mm -hmm. Right, and I'm not sure, Chris could correct me, but I don't think there's great incentives for developers to build lower income 
uh, customer housing. So you're, you're, you're working in the market of upper middle class and, and higher uh, income groups. Uh, so, so some of the solutions in some communities are to provide incentives to developers, like smaller lots are, can be allowed if you have some percent of your, of your uh, development being uh, middle income. Uh, so there are some solutions out there, uh, and we need maybe to get back together again with uh, the larger, the larger uh, MDI tomorrow community. and talk right. about this. And, and we'll come back to some of the community responses in a moment. Uh, we're talking about affordable housing as, as part of the heart of a community. Our guests in the studio include Chris Spruce, who's executive director of the Island Housing Trust, and uh, Ted, board, uh, Ted Coffin, who's a board member, and Allison Bean, who is a staff member. And I'll ask Allison a little bit more about her role in just a moment. And uh, we're joined also by Kendra Rudolph, who purchased a home with Island Housing Trust support uh, um, this year. Um, Allison, wh what have you learned? You said you, you experienced the issue um, as, a, as a new resident. Um, what have you learned since joining Island Housing Trust about both the problem and the solution? Well, I think just the overall um, size of the problem um, in that we know that it's it's not going to just go away overnight. And um, as Chris mentioned when um, years ago, there was always a lot of talk. I think there's still a lot of talk going on um, as we're doing today. But it's really finding that action um, that we you know, that I see that we're at that point where we've talked about this for years, but it's finding that one thing that we can take action on, rather that be um, working with local government or developer or whatnot. Um, that's, you know, the, that's where we're at, I think, is trying to find that key action to make the next step and see the turn. Mm -hmm. And what's, what kinds of things do you get involved in as a staff member? What, what's your role? Um, I do a little bit of everything um, from meeting with clients when they first inquire as to help from Island Housing Trust um, to seeing them through the process um, and looking for other ways that Island Housing Trust can can make a difference. Um, last year when I came on board, um, Island Housing Trust was already in the process of doing a rental study to see if that may be a possibility um, that we look into some year-round rentals. Um, and from the study that we did, we, we found that there there may be some, you know, there were some ideas tossed around, but at that point in time, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that we saw that we could take action on right away. Um, but it did, it did uh, conclude that there there is also the rental issue as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and and what's been the community response? We certainly see from the the clients or the the partners that you find um, great response. We're going to hear from from Kendra in a few minutes. But um, uh, Chris or or Ted or um, Allison, what's been the community response to not only the issue but um, the solutions that you're working on? Um, and and how would you characterize that response, Chris? Yeah, uh, I would say that the, the response has been sort of steady support for some, you know, what we try to do. Uh, not overwhelming support. This is a pitch. Uh, we, we could use more. But it, we've had steady support for the last 10 years to develop the approaches that we have. Uh, we, we would love to have it become more. Uh, we would love to have our resources grow to the point that we could do even more than the five or six or so projects that we do a year. We're, we, we've done now uh, close to 30, uh, which 
doesn't sound like a lot, but if you look at individual families and the number of children who are staying or being uh, enrolled in local schools, it's significant. Mm -hmm. And it's also passed through in the local economy. If you live here, you're going to spend more money on the island. That's, you know, that's an important part of, of the equation. And the town of Mount Desert, I recall, has been really struggling with um, how does it keep its main street um, kind of uh, active? And right. affordable housing is part of the solution to that as yeah, well. we think so over the long haul, and and it, certainly when the town did its uh, Urban Lands Institute study a few years ago, uh, affordable housing was identified as a key issue, and we're still having those discussions. We're still trying to figure out what is a way to get at that uh, to be effective, because at the end of the day, it's not just about throwing money at a problem. It's about being effective in, in what you're doing and actually addressing the issue. Mm. So you've mentioned um, that there are 30 uh, families um, now using the affordable um, housing covenants um, that you've set up in various ways. Let's hear from Kendra Rudolph, who, who is one of those um, happy families who, who's um, made a difference. How did you first find out about Island Housing Trust? As I said, when we moved here about a year ago, we quickly learned that home ownership or year-round renting was a tricky, a tricky thing to figure out for our family. We looked at a number of houses for sale that were in our price range, and while we probably could have pulled that off, the, the level of work and investment to make them habitable or comfortable was just, it, it, the logic didn't add up for us to do that, even though my husband is very competent and handy in that, in that regard. Um, it just felt cost prohibitive in the long run. And we, we looked at a number of houses to buy and stopped in at Bar Harbor Savings and Loan and spoke with Rhonda Sawyer, who was incredibly gracious, and said, you know, you might actually be interested in this organization called Island Housing Trust. And she gave us a brochure, and we called Allison that afternoon, I think, and thought that this organization was truly remarkable, that if it w were able to help us, it would be a game changer for our desires to buy on the island and close to the park, which was our strong desire. So we, we called Allison, and she was most gracious and helpful, and we learned more and more about what the organization does and how the affordability covenants work. Those, the premise of those affordability covenants really resonated with us as, you know, in my mind, I imagined it meant um, paying it forward. If we did choose to sell our house, we would be selling it to someone just like us, and, and that really resonated with us, too. Um, we looked uh, very sincerely at the Ripples Hill development as a good fit for us and started that process very enthusiastically. But it just so happened that someone was um, considering selling her home in a different development, the Saba Woods development, and we were very enthusiastic about that, possibly working out, and indeed it did. So the whole process was seamless and um, just a very good experience for our whole family. So, um, Chris, was the house that Kendra bought, was that already within um, Island Housing Trust affordability covenant. So this is a is one of the the, um, the resales. Resales, right? Yeah, we've had four resales today. That was one of them. That's the fourth one, and uh, and, and interestingly and and thankfully, the covenants work exactly as we had hoped that they would work. Where the seller uh, realizes some gain uh, from the sale, uh, essentially uh, get uh, most of the money they invested in the house back. Uh, if not all of it, and uh, but it remains affordable to the next family. Uh, and that was the idea, this sort of shared equity approach, uh, as Kendra said, is a pay-it-forward 
uh, approach, but it's the only way we could think to uh, keep, uh, sustain the housing stock, if you will, to keep it affordable was to say we have to we have to cap it some way, but we also don't want to penalize people mm -hmm. if, we, if we don't have to. So, did you work with a bank to arrange financing? So, tell us a little about what their what their story was. We did. We we worked with Rhonda Sawyer at Bar Harbor Savings and Loan, um, and we also worked with Jack Gibbons at Machias Savings Bank, both of whom were really helpful in the process about explaining what how the loan works and how the affordability covenants affect that mortgage. Um, we in inevitably worked with Jack Gibbons at Machias Savings Bank, and so he has a very deep knowledge and understanding of the transaction process for that and working closely with Jack, or excuse me, with um, Chris and Allison. So it was a, a seamless transaction. The bank was uh, very knowledgeable. Jack was very knowledgeable and very helpful for that process. And it was much like the other homes that we've, you know, we've purchased before. Tim and I owned a home in Tennessee and we owned a home in Pennsylvania. So the, the process of purchasing was not unlike those. Uh, it was very similar and it was very seamless, honestly. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your neighborhood, um, your own children. How are they settling in? Oh, we love our home. We love our neighborhood. We have terrific neighbors. Um, I was just describing to Chris and Allison that our daughter is in kindergarten at Connors Emerson, and our other daughter goes to preschool just up the road. Um, our daughter, who rides the bus to school every morning, um, hops on the bus with her buddy who lives just, I think, 100 yards up the way from us. So that was, that was a wonderful development. And... Um, as we've explained to the girls throughout the last few months of moving around and living in temporary quarters for short spells, that that the end game was what we call our forever house, that moving into this house would be our forever house. And um, this house has meant a lot to us, and we're settling in nicely. I, I imagine it's a, it's not as tidy today as it was <laughs> when Janine lived there, but it's it's a loved home. It's a busy home, and we feel so fortunate that... It is our home. Mm. Chris, I imagine that there's a training process that you use with the banks to kind of get them on board, or maybe some of those bankers are actually on your board to, to kind of learn the process. Yeah, I actually uh, uh, came to mention Jack. Jack Gibbons had served on our board and uh, was very familiar with uh, what we do. But the great thing is about the bank, whether it's the Machias or Bar Harbor Savings and Loan or Bar Harbor Bank and Trust and a number of other local banks, they've all been great partners with us. Uh, they've They've accepted our affordability covenants. Uh, they, uh, their underwriters have, and and uh, they hold the paper in-house, if you will. It's not sold on the secondary market. It's serviced and held right here locally. And we think that's an important part of the equation as well. It makes it very much a local partnership, uh, very much a team effort, if you will. Uh, and that, and I say that about the local realtors as well. They often refer clients to us, mm -hmm. as do the uh, local mortgage lenders. And um, uh, they've been great. They've they've really uh, gone out of their way to make help us make all of this work. And how about municipal government? That's another uh, player in the town of Mount Desert, where your um, Ripples Hill project was. That was a town initiated um, land purchase or land donation. Right. The late, late Farnham Butler was a member of the planning board uh, of Mount Desert for a number of years. And when um, the uh, boundary legislation for the park was finalized. Uh, uh, there was a, land, a few land swaps that happened, uh, and one of them was this 189-acre parcel uh, of land off the uh, Beach Hill Road 
that uh, what the park trade uh, swap to David and Peggy Rockefeller uh, for some other uh, land that they desired more, and they get and and the Rockefellers turned around and gave it to the town, mm -hmm. and so the town when they zoned that land they set aside about 60 acres on one end of it for eventually for affordable housing, uh, and uh, in the uh, after I came on in 2005, there had been some discussion about doing a development there, and Farnham was a champion of that. Mm. Uh, he very much wanted to do a workforce housing development there, and he gave us a very generous donation to get that going. And Farnham, as I recall, was a boat builder. He, he, he employed builder, he yes. employed people. He, yes. he saw this, this issue close hand. Yeah, he did, and he was a rascible and a great guy. Uh, <laughs> and you've named and, the road yeah, We named the road into the <laughs> development. It's called Farnham's Way, and, and believe it, it usually was Farnham's Way. So, uh, But I, may, I remember having a conversation with him uh, not too long after I joined, and we had had this uh, what we call the Ripples Hill subcommittee. And we met many times. We met in his living room, which had a tremendous view of some sound. Um, and uh, he said to me after a meeting, he said, you know, Chris, all these people do is sit around and talk. He said, I don't want to hear any more talk. I want action. And I said to him, Farnham, I came here, and we're going to get action. And uh, fortunately, before Farnham passed, uh, he knew that we were going to develop mm. Ripples Hill, so we were very happy about that. And how about um, employers? Um, we've talked about the, the residents of some of these houses, municipal government. How are employers involved in this? Because they have got to be facing this issue of where, where the workers going to live. Yeah, the, it's interesting because we uh, we get uh, we have people in our uh, subdivisions and, and in our houses who work at Jackson Lab, who work at the park, who work at MDI Hospital. Uh, all of those employers have been from time to time supportive of what we do. Uh, they know we're there. We obviously we can't answer all of their needs. We we don't have those kind of resources, but where we can, we help. And uh, we like to think that. Uh, as much as we can do uh, for any employer on the island in terms of helping their one of their employees solve the housing situation, we think that's a, 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 an important thing to do and part of our mission. Mm. So the, 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 tell us a little bit about the, the board, Ted, and, and how you're structured and, and what your role is in terms of, of helping raise the resources to, to make all this work. We have a super board, very committed to the community and committed to the work, um, and we're actually continuing to recruit some uh, new board members. Uh, board members have come and gone and each have left uh, a legacy toward our, our general mission. Uh, you know, for us as a board, there are some decisions that have to be made, um, whether we're going to expand our Ripples project or uh, put our emphasis on the HOPE project that Chris spoke about uh, or look for other angles uh, to provide more housing. Uh, so, uh, but raising funds to get these things done, to be able to act uh, in a more generous way uh, toward the goal is a goal, uh, the board's chief mm. function, at mm. least my perspective about that. And so we, we spend time trying to raise uh, resources in one way or another. Uh, and, and some of that money, again, we're talking about a, a primarily coastal issue. A lot of the residents of the coast are summer residents. Yes. You've had to make entree into that summer community. Yeah. Do they get the issue? Do, how do they understand Well, this some issue? of them certainly do, and they have hosted uh, events at their lovely homes and, uh, and invited lots of guests who have the capacity to help with this. I think it's terribly important, and we may need to work harder on uh, you know, imagine someone coming from Philadelphia or 
Cleveland or wherever for their month or two or three in their home that they may share with other siblings and that sort of thing. And they want to have the best time they can have while they're there. Um, they may not be getting you know, in touch with the kinds of dynamics of the community, the, the problems of hollowing out the community of volunteers and what have you. If the ambulance is five minutes later than it you know, needs to be. Uh, so there are real issues there. And, um, uh, and so the board's job is to, to also try and inform our donors as to why this is terribly important. I, mean, I assume that some residents come for um, lots of things, but they come because there's a community that they're coming to. Right. And I think that's, Chris, your point about the hollowing out that happens. They are coming to a, a community that is already been hollowed out some and is in danger of being hollowed out more unless they kind of help with these kinds of projects. Right, and, and uh, we have many donors uh, in the summer community, and they're very generous, and uh, they've supported us over the years. Uh, and they get that. They understand it. Uh, but, you know, again, if you're not seeing it every day through the year, if you're not here uh, and you're driving through a village where there are no lights on at 5 o'clock in November or December, uh, you sometimes don't really feel it. Because when you're here in the summer, as a summer there's a lot of people here. Sure, sure. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have a hard time finding our way around sometimes. Uh, there's so many people on the island. But uh, we do. We have been fortunate to have this issue resonate with a number of very generous donors. Great. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about affordable housing at the heart of a community. Our guests in the studio include Ted Kaufman, who's a board member of the Island Housing Trust, along with Allison Bean, who's a staff member, Chris Bruce, executive director, and Kendra Rudolph, who has recently, with her husband, uh, purchased a home through um, the Island Housing Trust. We're going to go to a different island now, the island of North Haven, and welcome uh, Hannah Pingree to our radio program. Welcome back to Talk of the Towns, Hannah. Hey, Ron, and hey, it's good to be on the phone at least with everybody lots of old friends so Hi, Anna. nice to hear your voices at least i'm adam speaker <laughs> i had you a, can you... call me hannah <laughs> <laughs> so just in, in reference to your uh, career in the legislature what's what have you been doing um uh, after after life in the legislature uh, too many things uh, uh so when i uh was term limited in 2010 i actually first had i've got two little kids that take up some portion of my time and like everybody on the line, I live in a very small town, uh, the island of North Haven. And in addition to some family business projects, um, we run an inn and restaurant. I also serve on the school board. I'm on our sustainable housing board um, and our community center. So when you live in a small town, uh, you you have it, you get sucked in. And obviously, I think it's I think it's actually really fun to be involved at the local level because you can be, be involved in a project and see it happen and see it impact your neighbors. Um, so while I liked working on state-level issues where you could try to make a difference to do something very local, you know, it's, it's gratifying to see, see progress. And just a thumbnail sketch of North Haven. Um, you've got some of the same issues that Mount Desert Island has in terms of a of a seasonal population, but um, there's a real working class um, struggling, I think, uh, on North Haven as well. Yeah, I mean, we're similar, and, you know, I, I can't speak totally for all the offshore islands, but they're all somewhat similar in the issues they face. Um, North Haven has about uh, 350 people year-round. Um, it's about an hour ferry ride from Rockland 
that goes three times a day. And in the summertime, it's between 1,000 and 2,000 people. Most of them, um, we don't have as many tourists as Mount Desert Island, mostly summer residents, um, both new and old. Uh, and uh, so that's that we have a year-round school, K-12 school, the smallest in the state of Maine. Um, and there are 14 or 15 year-round islands, depending on how you count them. Um, and they, you know, they go from the very small, like Matinicus and Frenchboro, to uh, the biggest are both Final Haven and Peaks that are populations a little over 1,000. So, um, I, I, again, I won't speak for all the housing organizations, but we're all struggling with similar issues in that, um, especially on North Haven, there are really very few affordable houses that come up for sale or land that's for sale. Um, and, you know, when you live on an offshore island, there's you can't commute from the mainland easily. Right. Um, so we have, you know, large uh, community of lobstermen, of um, people who work uh, at the school and for different services, a lot of people who are contractors and caretakers for summer residents. So looks probably somewhat similar to most of the offshore islands. And you've d decided to work um, among the other projects in terms of sustainable housing on uh, housing for um, the senior citizens, the elders of the community. Tell us a little bit about the, the Yellow House project. Sure, yeah. Well, so uh, I will just quickly say our group started off and we are continuing to try to um, provide year-round both rental and ownership opportunities for people on the island. And it's expensive and challenging work, as I think I'm sure Chris talked about um we also do weatherization work on the island trying to make um people's houses more sustainable to heat um but our big project right now we're working with um a group um that is uh concerned with elder care and we're serving as the developer for uh, adult family care facility which is essentially a very small six bed um long-term care um home and so north haven has never had anything like that um, three of the other offshore islands, Vinyl Haven, Islesboro, and Shabeek, all have small long-term care facilities. So, um, you know, when a, when a person gets old and they can no longer live on the island because, you know, they're not able to live at home anymore, they go to a mainland assisted living or, or nursing home. And, you know, for an hour ferry ride, really rough trips in the winter, um, people end up becoming pretty separated from their friends and family. So um, we've seen this model work on other islands. And we were actually given a beautiful um, former year-round and then summer home um, by, a, by a generous donor. So we're turning that home into a um, six-bed uh, long-term care facility. And the community is excited. It's a big undertaking, and it, um, it has other issues associated with it because it has to be able to operate for the long term in a sustainable way. But um, I, it's sort of a – we our group really started off providing housing for, for young people, and we continue to be – focused on that mission because it's important to keeping our uh, community vibrant, but, um, you know, the needs of uh, housing and care for the elderly is equally important. So to be able to work on both is, is exciting. Oh, that's great. And the, the, the notion that um, those elders can stay on their home island um, must be incredibly important to them and to their families. Yeah, incredibly important. I mean, I've seen some very specific examples where people really didn't want to leave and they stay in their home you know, many times longer than they're, they should be able to. And um, we're also working as a part of this facility to provide home care services in a more organized way. So both of those things will help people have, you know, live the end of their lives more successfully, um, for the most part, on, in the community. You know, per, people with severe medical needs won't be able to stay, but most others um, will be able to. And, you know, we've certainly seen on Vinyl Haven and Islesboro, both um, near us, 
just, you know, really great stories of the community being able to better interact with seniors at the end of their lives and people's lives being enriched. I mean, living on a offshore island in the middle of the winter, uh, you know, you're a senior, you're practically shut in, especially winter like last winter. So um, we hope this will, you know, enhance people's last couple of years um, and and make it not such a a lonely place at times. Mm, great. Well, so thanks so much for your, your work on this and for helping our listeners here on Talk of the Towns um, expand their view of, of what life is like on small islands and, and larger islands as well. Well, it's great to be with you. Okay. We'll get you back in the studio at some point, too. Thanks again, um, Hannah Pingree from the uh, North Haven Sustainable Housing. Uh, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We open up our phone lines now if you'd like to participate in our conversation about affordable housing as part of the heart of a community. Give us a call toll-free 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. So, Chris, you mentioned some of the strategies that you started out with, actually um, having land and then um, guiding uh, purchases of, of, of those lots through the housing uh, development process, the building construction process, guiding them in that. And um, But you've got other other strategies as well. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit more about the, the HOPE project or the well, HOPE concept. The home, yeah, the Home Ownership Assistance uh, Program projects uh, really are all, they're unique. Every single one of them is different. Uh, but the, the the principles behind it are generally is generally the same. Uh, so and what that is is people self-identify a property that uh, they think they can afford, and they by usually by the time they do that, they've gone to the bank. The bank has told them roughly, you know, what arena they can operate in in terms of price, and uh, then they come to us and say, you know, this is the property that we'd like to have, and our process requires a building inspection and so forth and so on uh, to make sure that it is a viable property. Uh, and then we uh, essentially give a grant to uh, put money into the deal, if you will, that gaps the difference between what the bank will lend them and what the purchase price is. Uh, it's that that's a simplistic approach to it. They're all more complicated than that. Uh, but we've done eleven of those now. Mm. And, and the affordability uh, kind of covenant um, goes with those projects as well. The affordability covenants are almost exactly the same as mm -hmm. what we use for. Uh, uh, Saba Woods or Ripples Hill mm -hmm. or any other project. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that, Allison, um, you deal with a lot of those inquiries um, and help them match match things up. What's that like? So, yes, I, a lot of the first contact um, I deal with that. And so a lot of times it's via email or it could be a phone call. Um, for someone like Kendra and Tim, they, they were ready. Um, but lots of times it's people that are just starting out never owned a home it's walking them through that process getting them started to even um, think about where they're at and their finance their finances and what they're actually looking for so it's it really varies client to client and in what each one needs and where they're at in that process whether they're ready to purchase or just starting out mm -hmm. and the the gap um, help us understand the nature of that gap um, so someone is working maybe one or two income uh, family they go to the bank the bank says well you can afford this in terms of a, um, a mortgage but someone doesn't have this so that there's a gap there is that what you're you're, you're dealing with 
typically um, what will happen is the bank gives them the amount they're pre-approved for so they know roughly what to look for for a property. Um, once they've identified that, the gap is usually that they don't have the full down payment. Okay. The bank usually would like 20% down. Uh, lots of times our clients come in with five, no more than 10%. So that's where we would come in and help with that, that gap for the down payment that mm -hmm. the bank's requiring. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose that that kind of pro pro approach means that affordable housing is everywhere and not concentrated. Is there a benefit to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, because when, when you do a development, sometimes developments get stigmatized. Uh -huh. if, if people see them as, as a one type of people live there, one type of person right. lives there. Uh, I'd like to think that none of our developments are like that, but the community you can understand, see might that. see right, it that way. Right. Uh, but by doing it this way, the self-selection process, uh, people really can pick the community they want to live in. Uh, they can find a property that that will be home for them uh, over time. And uh, it, it really, rather than us driving that decision, it's it's the individual doing it. And so in that way, there's a lot more buy-in, I think, that people feel, oh, you know, this is something I want. and and I can live with, and I choose, not something mm. forced upon me. And it's all over the island. Mm. We've done one in almost every town. We've done mm -hmm. one in every town mm -hmm. and, uh, in, on the island, at least one, and in almost every village. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask Chris, in, in, we, in a sense, are able to get more folks into a housing through hope than trying to raise the, the money to build houses. Yeah, yeah from a... From a uh, uh, an efficiency use, efficient use of dollar point of view, hope is much more effective uh, in the sense that the average home ownership assistance grant is about 30000 The cost to develop a single lot in some place like Ripples Hill is almost 100 mm. So we can do three projects for the price of one, essentially. By, through the whole program. Mm -hmm. You tune to Talk of the Towns here. Give us a call if you'd like to participate in our conversation about affordable housing at the heart of a community. 1-866-625-9378. Perhaps you've got some questions for our guests in the studio, Chris Spruce, Ted Kaufman, and Allison Bean of Island Housing Trust, or for Kendra Rudolph, who with her family has um, moved into a, a house with support from Island Housing Trust. That's one 625 Seven, eight. So the, the, the neighborhoods that um, are represented by Saba Woods and um, uh, Ripples Hill, they are real neighborhoods. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what, what you've seen as a neighborhood when you've moved in, Kendra. They are real neighborhoods. They are lively. They are full of families. They're full of activity. We have good friends who live in the Ripples Hill development, and so... We, uh, while we were a little sad to step away from that process because we were so drawn to it, we've requested to remain honorary Ripples Hill <laughs> family. Um, and so we've had the good fortune of socializing with them a number of times. And our sense of that wonderful development is that it's, it's very lively, it's very engaged, it's very supportive. Um, and similarly with our own neighborhood, we're slowly getting to know our neighbors and have found them very warm, very welcoming. We understand there will be a fourth soon, which is very exciting. We look forward to getting to know our new neighbor that way and um, welcoming her as well. So indeed, they are, they are lively. And I think, I hope I speak for many of them when I say that we're very grateful 
that we feel very fortunate to be a part of these developments, that they are unique in some ways, and in other ways they're just like any block mm. um, in town. Uh, and and indeed, they're they're special to us. Mm-hmm. Allison, you go through a, a process of... of uh, um screen, I guess, um, folks who want to be involved. What are some of the kinds of questions you're asking about um, people as they apply to be supported through Island Housing Trust? Usually it's just typical what their background is, what they're looking for. Um, Of course, we, we let them know to take part you know, with any assistance from Island Housing Trust, they have to agree to our covenants that right. they have, you know, they have to be gaining some of their income from the island. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that that part of the application. Someone has to have a job on Mount Desert Island to be um, a recipient of, of a grant or assistance. That's correct. They okay. have to gain... They have to be getting at least 20% of their income from the island. Mm-hmm. To most of our families, if not all of them at this point, um, at least one uh, person who works full-time on the island, or in many cases, it's you know a, a two, two-person working household, and both are working on the island, and that's why they're... There's, it's so important to them that they stay on the island mm-hmm. and that they don't have to leave and go to somewhere like Trenton or Ellsworth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the school system, um, you've got uh, two children, or uh, beginning the school process anyway. Um, um, uh, Chris, earlier you were um, passing around a newsletter that showed um, children in Ripples Hill. Um, some of the school systems on Mount Desert Island are, are losing population. I suppose affordable housing means that there's at least um, some inflow or influx of, of uh, young people into the school system. Yeah, and I, and that's really one of, has been one of the objectives uh, for Island Housing Trust in, in, in doing the work it does is to keep children in the school, to keep the community vibrant. And as everybody knows, the community school is an essential part of a community. And we know that because communities that have lost their school, uh, somehow some of them haven't really survived or done very well, whereas even on the island to keep uh, even the local elementary school is extremely important for most communities. And we, you know, what we do tries to help that. It's not a panacea. We can't fix it all. But for every student we can either keep in a school or bring into the school, it's important for that school system. Mm-hmm. So um, I can imagine that um, in addition to supporters, you've had some critics, people who either don't understand all of what you're doing and uh, or question what you're doing, that, that uh, in a free enterprise system, we ought to have any kind of um, assistance at all. Tell us about some of the rationale that you're perceiving from, from your critics. Right. Well, I think there, there are folks who... Uh, truly believe that people ought to be able to do this on their own, mm. and and uh, you know for the most part, uh, perhaps in in eighty five percent of the communities in this state, uh, that would be true. But if you live in coastal areas, uh, there's a uh, there's a dynamic that is far different from many communities inland, uh, and and that dynamic is this expensive land, this expensive real estate, and uh, that just prices out so many people in the lower and middle classes uh, uh, income households that, uh, you know, they just can't live there. And and you can't do it on your own. There's just no way. Uh, it, again, we like to say, well, you know, if, if, if the folks we're dealing with were living in Ellsworth or or Trenton or, or Bucksport, they could do this on their own. But they're trying to live on the island. And when you cross that bridge in Thompson Island, uh, 
there is an inflator that <laughs> exists immediately. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to counter, just trying to balance, if you will, the equation to help the middle, lower and middle income folks live on the island. Mm. And again, the, the critics would say that this is, this is um, some kind of um, handout um, but it, what you've said in your in your remarks about the the covenant is, no, it's not really. It's just it's it's saying we're going to give you assistance as a as a homeowner, but you're going to pass on that kind of assistance to the next buyer. So it's a kind of a constant. Yeah, the, the way I explain it to clients whenever I meet with them is, yes, we're going to give you help, but there's a quid pro quo, and that is you're going to be part of this uh, effort, this this long term affordability. Uh, effort, and that means we're going to put these covenants on your houses. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting this money for free. Right. You're agreeing to live by these covenants, and uh, and if people don't want to do that, and there are people who don't want to do that, <laughs> they they talk to us all the time and and go away. But uh, if you don't want to do that, then you're this is not for you, mm-hmm. and and we know this is not for everybody. So. Uh, w- w- people really have to buy into what mm-hmm. this process. Kendra, you talked about you and her husband thinking that this was kind of a, um, a part of your ethic is to is to figure out how to how to get involved but also pay it forward. Uh, talk about that a little bit about the discussion that you had, uh, husband and wife, to to say what, what, are we going to get involved in this and therefore forego some of the the uh, the, the um, windfall that some people get when they sell a house on Mount Desert Island. Indeed. So that that was a big decision process for us, as with any move, any major purchase. And we didn't go through a single step of this process lightly. I know we were very deliberate about understanding exactly how Island Housing Trust works. And, and as I said, it did indeed, once we understood it and, and, um, and Chris and Allison were so effective in, in informing us about the process, once we did understand it, it, like I said, it really resonated with us. And we understand that indeed there is room for equity with the purchase of our home. So something will and, you'll get... Mm-hmm. Um, equity that grows in terms of of uh, the house itself, but perhaps Indeed. not the land. Indeed, right. Indeed, that that it's likely that uh, you know, with the purchase of this home, that there is room for equity for us down the road. Um, but that we agree, if we did want to sell it, that it would go to, like I said, a family probably just like us, mm. and that it would remain affordable for the next family who you know may want to live in our house. We like to think we're going to live there for a really, really long time. We call it the last stop on our on our many <laughs> journeys with the National Park Service. But um, but that was comforting to know that that, that the process really was in our favor. Um, no matter when we decided to, you know, to live there or to not live there. Mm. Chris, you probably keep up on trends and so on. Are there uh, approaches that you're thinking about um, uh, uh, looking at or or trying um, that have been successful elsewhere? Um, What's the field of affordable housing doing? Um, Well, um, actually, Allison might be able to speak to this a little bit. She went to a uh, community land trust conference uh, this fall, and uh, we looked at a couple of different uh, approaches through that. Uh, thinking about the traditional land trust model, which uh, in, in many cases uh, includes it, it, it essentially ho- uh, ho- the land trust holds the land in ownership, and then uh, folks build a house on that. But the land never leaves mm-hmm. the ownership of the trust. Now we we deliberately didn't do that when we started out for a variety of reasons, but we've developed far enough down the road as an organization, we could begin to look at those other models and see if 
there might be a project that that works for. Mm -hmm. that land, land trust um, needs to think of itself as being in business forever right. because they, they, they accept those covenants. What else did you learn in that conference, Allison? Anything else? Um, I think one of the things that more of the land trusts are targeting now is mixed income and so that the communities um, are... I think even when, you know in our Ripples Hill community or even Sable Woods, um, it's mixed income, but they're more around the same percentages. Um, and what I learned at the conferences is really there's really a target toward complete mix of very low income uh -huh. all the way to moderate income, yep. and just the economic and social impacts that that has for each of those families. Mm. we only got a few minutes left. I'll give each of you a, a chance to, to uh, kind of summarize what you think um, affordable housing means to the, the heart of a community, the sustainability of a community. Let's um, start with Kendra and work our way around the table. Oh, well, thank you. So I suppose for us, the, the ownership of our home is it's immeasurable. We're incredibly grateful, but ultimately beyond the ownership of our home, which means so much to us, what Tim and I are both committed to is being able to uh, you know, pay it forward in our community. We love this island so much and we're so, we feel so grateful and we want to continue to repay that, not just to Island Housing Trust, but to the community as a whole. So that means our daughters being involved in a number of things. We're big fans of Connors Emerson School and the Jessup Library and Sunday popovers with Common Good. And, and Acadia Community and Theater. And the Acadia Community Theater. So <laughs> we're, we're very grateful. Great. Allison, um, Allison Bean, how would you say affordable housing fits in the whole scheme of a sustainable community? I think Kenner touched upon this a little bit, but I think it's just, it's not just about the home, it's the community and making it a vibrant year-round community um, for everyone, for any community, it's that, the involvement mm -hmm. and you need the numbers, the people there to Ted, make that. Ted Kaufman? Yeah, I have a, a relative who lives in a gated community and uh, it's, I have no problems with gated communities <laughs> uh, once you get checked and... Uh, Fingerproofed before you go in, but uh, I, you know I found it kind of sterile. And for me, a, a healthy community is a vibrant, diverse community with people with various different backgrounds and skills, uh, and uh, uh, come from different places. That's all good for the kids. It's good for all of us. The diversity piece. Chris Bruce. Yeah, and I, I just think that uh, what we do most importantly is turn houses into homes and uh, a house is a house a home has people in it and this is where they live and and this is the community they're part of and that's really what we do great great well thanks to all of you for being part of talking to the towns this morning we've come to that time when i want to remind you that this program was produced with support from cooperative extension and the hancock county extension association with offices in each county cooperative extension is the major educational outreach program of the university of maine our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Um, you can check out all of our, our programs, um, including this one, on our archives. Um, go to weru.org. Thanks again to our guests um, here in the studio, 
uh, Christopher Spruce is the executive director of Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. Ted Kaufman is a board member. Allison Bean is a staff member. And Kendra Rudolph is a recent purchaser of a home with Island Housing Trust support. Thanks to um, Hannah Pingree for joining us. Um, Hannah is with the North Haven Sustainable Housing Project, um, among many other things on North Haven. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the 29th Annual Camden Conference, 